Today, the, the world has changed out of all recognition almost from what it was like 30, 40 years ago. Religion is much more about seeking for many of these younger generation. They are seekers rather than dwellers. A seeker is somebody who is genuinely seeking truth, seeking God, seeking a spiritual path, but they don't really have anywhere to do it from. They don't have a spiritual home. They don't have a tradition. They don't have a church where they can say, this is where I belong. To relate to them, to communicate with them, to share with them is very different. And we need to be seekers ourselves. We who dwell in the house of the Lord. We who belong and will say, yes, I'm happy and proud to say I am a disciple of Jesus. Not a good one, but I'm doing the best I can. That we're proud to say that. And we're proud to say that I'm trying to live my life in a way that is consistent with that teaching of Jesus, of the gospel. To live a life without fear. To live a life of generosity and justice. We need to be able to have that stability and confidence that we belong among his disciples. But that doesn't mean we give up seeking. It just means we have found a place from which we could do this seeking of God. I'm a Benedictine monk, and St. Benedict says, when somebody comes to the monastery, the first thing you have to find out, and you give them a year or so, check them out and see if, are they truly seeking God? Are they truly seeking God? Well, that should be true of any catechumen or of any one who joins the church. Are you truly seeking God? Or do you just want to dwell there? Take it easy. Put everything on low return deposits. Safe investments. Or are you really going to invest yourself in the seeking of God? And that's why those of us who have a place to dwell in the church need, above all, to be seekers at depth and seekers for depth. And then we will be in a much more powerful position to communicate the good news to our contemporaries and to the younger generation. For one thing, for example, we will not be excluding the other ways in which God has revealed himself throughout history. Clement of Alexandria, one of the early fathers of the church, said that nothing that is not against nature is against Christ. Nothing that is not against nature is against Christ. In other words, when we hear the truth, whether it's from another religious tradition or whether we hear it from science, if it's the truth, it is an expression of God's presence. And the teaching of the church today, the Catholic Church, 
is that we reject nothing that is true and holy in other religions. That we respect it because if Christ is the truth, wherever we find the truth, we find Christ. And indeed it is our responsibility to revere the truth that we find wherever we find it, just as we revere Christ. That's the basis of dialogue. Not that we are trying to convert the other person, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, but that we are seeking the truth. And we have the courage, the confidence, and also the humility to seek the truth with others, to help each other, to learn from each other. That's to do with other religions. And indeed, I would say that dialogue with other religions is a real form of evangelization. It doesn't mean you go into the conversation with a hidden agenda, hoping that you will convert them all by the end of the dialogue. That would be a bit dishonest. But it means that you are showing and sharing the Christ in you, the truth in you, to them. This is also true of ecumenism. This is an important form of evangelization as Christians from different churches relate to each other. A couple of years ago, I think I was in Indonesia and I was meeting a bishop at the beginning of my visit to his diocese and he was welcoming me. And I said to him, how are things in, in your diocese? And he said, well, they're pretty good. He said, but we're having a lot of trouble with the Christians. And I was a little taken aback till I realized that Christians meant Protestants and the rest were Catholics. So I wasn't very happy about this idea that, you know, Catholics are not Christians anymore. I think we can be Catholic Christians. Anyway, so he said, well, you know, what you're bringing here, the Christian meditation is, is wonderful and uh, I'm very delighted you can do it. And then he said, but you know, I wouldn't call it Christian meditation. So I said, oh, no, why? He said, well, if you call it Christian, the Catholics will think that it's Protestant. <laughs> and if you call it meditation, the Protestants will think that it's Buddhist. <laughs> so I said, well, <laughs> I don't know what we're going to call it then. Because it is Christian meditation, and it's been called Christian meditation for 2,000 years. So I'm not going to surrender these two words. I would like to try to explain to people what these words mean rather than lose them. So evangelization, sharing the good news out of our own experience, is something that happens in open-hearted, generous dialogue with people of different beliefs or even of no beliefs. Some of you may know that Peter Ng was asked uh, some years ago before Lee Kuan Yew died, he, Mr. Lee asked him to teach him to meditate because he'd heard that Peter was a meditator, a Christian meditator. Through that, I was able to meet with Mr. Lee uh, on quite a few occasions, which was a great gift to me. I'd always admired him from a distance, but I, now I was able to meet him and share something very precious with him as, as Peter himself was doing. 
Now, Mr. Lee said, of course, from the beginning, he, he was not a believer. But he wanted to learn to meditate. He wanted to find peace. He had his reasons for wanting to learn to meditate. And they were good reasons. He didn't want to just learn to relax or lower his blood pressure or improve his immune system and all the other benefits that we know meditation can bring. He wasn't interested in that. It was a very deep and serious quest seeking, I would say. And he was very serious about it, very disciplined and very serious about it, very determined, as you might imagine Mr. Lee would be in anything he did. And he was also very humble, very humble. I know people find that difficult to believe of, Mr. of Lee Kuan Yew, but to me, as far as I encountered him in those times of meditation, he was very open, he was very honest about how he was learning and very open to instruction and advice. And I asked him in that conversation that was on a video that went on online, has this experience of learning to meditate given you any spiritual insights? And he said, you're asking the wrong person. He said, because I'm not a religious person. So I said, I didn't use the word religious, I said spiritual. So I said, I asked if you had any spiritual insights. And there's a difference between religious and spiritual. And he said, in a very humble way, he said, oh, I'd never thought about the difference between those two words. So he said, well, no, anyway, I don't think I've had any spiritual insights. But then he paused and he thought again, and he said, well, it has given me a certain insight that my true self is not the same as my public self, the person I project in the public sphere. And I said, well, that seems to me like a, a real spiritual insight. Why should not a Christian be able to share this gift of meditation with a non-Christian? Is it only for Christians? Or is it only for Catholics? Is not this gift of deep prayer, the prayer of the heart, a gift that God has given us? It's also something that is present in all religious traditions. Is this not a gift that God has given humanity, an aspect of wisdom that we can find in our own tradition and practice in our own tradition to deepen our faith, to become better disciples, to live a holy life. But also, it can be a gift that we share with the secular world, with the non-believing world. Why not? If they ask, we don't force it on them. We don't charge for it. It's not a product that we're selling. We're not making any commercial promises about it. It's not a product. But 
we can share it with them. And we are indeed doing that in our community over the last few years. We have an outreach that's developed called Meditatio. And they know where we are coming from, our faith. But they also trust that we are not trying to convert them or change them. But we are giving them something. And what are we giving them? We're giving them what every human being in the world is seeking for. A way to find peace. A way to find their true self, as, as Mr. Lee did. We are giving them what we can share with them about a way of compassion, a way of interiority, a way of transformation. And if we can't share that gift with anyone we meet, I think our idea of evangelization is very limited. We are putting conditions on evangelization. And we don't have the right to do that. What you have freely been given, you freely share. Go to all nations, go to everyone, Jesus tells us. If we have this to share, let us share it with them. This is another form of evangelization for the modern world. We've been used to evangelization only in terms of bringing people into the church. And of course, we would celebrate and be joyful whenever somebody with whom we had shared this does decide to join the church and ask for baptism and go through instruction. We would be delighted if, if that happens and welcome them. But it's not a condition. If it was a condition, we would be very mean-spirited. We would not be Christ-like. Karl Rahner, who was great German theologian, Jesuit of the last century, 50 years ago, after the Vatican Council, wrote an essay called The Future of Christianity. And I read it again recently, and I was very struck by how prophetic it was what deep insights it had into the changes that are taking place in the world, and religious consciousness, and what this means for the church. Because as much as it is an institution, the church has to adapt to the modern world. Otherwise, we become a little ghetto. We just preach to the converted. We become a little clique rather than a church. And the key phrase of this essay, The Future of Christianity, that has remained with me, is this sentence. The Christian of the future will be mystical, or there will be no Christians. The Christian of the future will be mystical, or there will be no Christians. In other words, for us today as disciples of the risen Lord to share his good news, to go forth to all peoples, we must have plunged deep and deeper 
into his presence within us. The church must become more deeply and universally contemplative. It was meditation that brought me to be a monk. Not because I was holy, and I'm not still, not because I was an expert meditator, but actually I became a monk, well, because I loved the monastic life, and I felt called to it, and I wanted to meditate, and I wanted to help John Main in building the meditation community, and creating a community of love. But I think it was also because I was a slow learner and very lazy, and I needed quite a lot of discipline. But I assure you that if you want to learn to meditate, you will not have to become a monk. <laughs> if you want to, you will be very welcome. You'll be very welcome to come to our new community in France, Bonveau, our new international center. We can start you off on the monastic life. Even if you want to come for a few months, or a few weeks, or a few days, you're very welcome to come as well. So you don't have to become a monk, but we do need to become contemplative.